The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we are going to continue through just our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Luke. But before we do that, for many, it's back-to-school season. Uh, your life is changing or at least transitioning from summer to fall, even though the temperatures outside aren't saying anything like that. And one of the things that we wanted to do as a church this fall, we really desperately began praying back in April that we would be able to connect people with God and with others. And the stemming root of that, why we felt like that was something that needed to happen was because of the last 18 months or so in our society, people have been very isolated. Some people love that and thrive in it. Others are just absolutely depressed by it. Regardless of where you're at in that spectrum, we believe that people need to be connected to God and to others. And so we had all these great plans of what we would do this fall to help connect you. And we're still going to move forward with those, understanding that there is still a COVID virus out. There are variants of it. And that that's a very real thing. So we want to keep your safety and your health as our number one concern. However, okay, however, with that being our number one concern, we do not want to go another year or two years where people are just alone and hurting. So we have options even for online. We have options for our online campus to connect with people because we believe that's so vitally important. So it's just my prayer, it's my hope that as we dive in today, you see not only an opportunity to hear the word, but you hear an opportunity to connect with God. To connect with God wherever you're at, however you're watching this, make sure you don't miss that opportunity. And then if there's a way you can share this with someone else, maybe that's a great way for you to just start reaching back out and connecting with God and connecting with others. A little bit of background before we jump into Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Just a little bit to help you understand. There is a man named John the Baptist who paved the way for Jesus. He has been in prison, okay, he's been in prison for about 10 months now. And what Jesus has been doing over those 10 months is nothing short of miraculous. Every time he walks into, he, he goes and he starts to heal the lame. They, they begin to walk. The sick are healed. He casts demons out of those who are possessed. He is teaching in the synagogues. People are following him by the thousands. His popularity is almost at its peak. So much is going on. But John is getting updates about this from prison. And after 10 months in prison, when he's going, hey, I I thought I was part of this. I thought I was going to get to be part of the squad, the the team that that brought in the kingdom of God. he, He starts to doubt. He starts to get sad and question, is Is this real? Now, now the reason that John was put in prison was not because he was out baptizing people by Jordan River. In fact, it was because he questioned Herod, kind of the king of the Jews, but by title only, in the area of Judea that, that John was ministering to just outside of. He questioned Herod's marriage. Herod decided to marry a woman named Herodias. Not a big deal, even though their names are close. Um, but the problem is, one, Herodias was married. Okay, that, that's, that's a problem in and of itself. Herodias was married, but Herodias was married to John's, not John's, to Herod's brother. Okay, so get this. Herod is wanting to marry a woman who's married, but she's married to his brother. And John goes, that's messed up. That's wrong. That's amoral and just kind of gross. 
You can't do that. We read this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 through 5. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet, which he was. So now John's in jail for just speaking up against something that is wrong. And he's wondering, hey, Jesus, I'm getting these reports of all this amazing stuff you're doing. But, but there's, there's one box that, that's kind of been left unchecked. See, I, I thought you were the one. I thought you were the Messiah. And, and something the Messiah is supposed to do is, is set prisoners free. We'll unpack that here in just a moment. Let's jump into Luke chapter 7, verses 18 and 20. John's disciples told him about all these things. Okay, all that Jesus was doing. We saw last week, Jesus raised the widow's son back to life. A resurrection account, so, so powerful. Uh, week before that, Jesus had a long distance healing. Okay, the centurion came and in faith said, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house, but my servant's sick, can you heal him? Jesus does this. And so these stories, these unbelievable stories are getting back to John because his disciples come and they're telling him all these things. Calling on two of those disciples, John sent them to the Lord to ask one very important question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the Messiah or, or are you just another one of the prophets like me and we should be expecting someone else? Now, it's a big question. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, now, I've already mentioned the doubt that is stemming from, I think, some of John's depression is this. He's read the Old Testament. He knows what Isaiah 61 says, that when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will set prisoners free. Let's read it. Isaiah 61, the very first verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. Now, John absolutely was aware of a few things. One, he was sent out to the Jordan River to baptize people, to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. He knew that. He fulfilled that role wonderfully. John was certainly aware of the prophecies surrounding his birth. His mother Elizabeth couldn't have children until a very late age. Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, walk in the same room. John, in the womb of his mother, leaps for joy. He's certainly heard that story. He knows it's something big. God is doing something huge here. And then finally, and this is kind of the big one for me, it was John himself that baptized Jesus. He didn't want to. He said, no, I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. But Jesus goes, you know, you've you got to do this for me. This is part of the plan. And as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens parted, a dove descended upon Jesus, and then God spoke. This is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. That's the big one for me. You hear the thunderous voice of God from heaven, and then you ask this question. Are you the one? Are you it? I'm 
mildly appalled. I, I really am. But I also can understand. Because while it may be more than enough for you and I to hear the stories of Jesus causing the lame to walk and the blind to see, raising the dead back to life. If your current circumstance was that you're locked in a prison cell and you don't think you're getting out, and by the way, spoiler alert, he doesn't. John doesn't make it out. Herod will behead him in the next six months. So if you think your only hope is the Messiah... And while he's checking all these other boxes so wonderfully, this one box down here, Isaiah 61, one says you're going to set the prisoners free and I'm still in handcuffs. So are you the one or should I expect someone else? Because I need some help here. I need someone to set me free. Let's continue. Luke chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. We're just kind of going back through these messianic expectations, okay? At that time, these things were occurring. This is what Luke's telling us. So he replied to the messengers. This is what Jesus says back to the two men that John sent. He sent back, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. Report back my actions. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The gospel is moving forward. And then Jesus finishes with a very important phrase, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Who in the world stumbles on account of Jesus? The person who expects Jesus to do something not going to do. And then takes that lack of action to mean that everything else is null and void. That's the person that stumbles on account of Jesus, is the person whose expectations are not met in the manner in which they think they should be. That's the person that stumbles on account of Jesus. And Jesus says himself, blessed is the one who doesn't do that. Blessed is the one who understands who I am and what I'm doing. How often do we want God to move in one area of our life? We need him and expect him to do this, but we're unwilling to let him radically impact the whole. Well, let me give some examples. I think many of us love the fact that Jesus is a healer. And we expect that because there's promises as such. I think many of us want and desire Jesus to be our provider, our sustainer. And we can expect and, and desire that because of who he is. But then how many of us want Jesus to teach us how to suffer well? And you go, no, I'm good with the provider part. I'll take that part. I'll take the healer part, but to learn how to suffer well part, even though that's a very, very important kingdom lesson, I'll, I'll do without that. Um, how, about the, how about this one, the, the part where Jesus says, give everything you have so that you, in doing so, will be made whole or feel full? No, no, I, I would just like the feel full part. I, I don't want to do the give everything part. I, I'll just, I'll take that. There, there's so many others. We, we want Jesus to meet us in our imminent moment of need. And he goes, yeah, but actually I do so much more. 
There, there's so much more. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of who Jesus is in their life. And those who want to receive that blessing need to do a few things. They must first address their own expectations. Are, are you seeing Jesus for all that he is, not just the little pieces? So first, you must understand and evaluate your expectations. Second, you must count the cost. The cost of following Jesus, he preaches on that so many times. Hey, hey don't come after me without seeing that this is going to take your life. It's going to cost you everything. And then finally, it's the doubt that can come from Jesus, not just being your personal genie in a bottle. We kind of want Jesus to be very nicely confined right here, to be called upon whenever we need him, and that is not what the Lord of the universe will ever be relegated to. It just doesn't work that way. I'll say this with such sincerity that I hope this is the focal point of the message today. We either accept Jesus for who he is completely or, or not at all. And what we're going to see here is a huge shift from what I think you're expecting Jesus' response to be to John. We're going to see Jesus respond in a very almost neutral and loving way. And that's good news for me because I just made the statement, we either accept Jesus for who he is or not at all. And I think even though John asked a question here, John asked a question that would hurt most anyone, it doesn't hurt Jesus because Jesus knew by the actions of John that John had accepted him. He just had a bad day. He just had a bad moment when he's getting all these reports about all these amazing things that Jesus is doing and he's just going, hey, what about me? Hey, hey what about me? There's really no higher praise that Jesus could give to anyone than what he gives to John here in the next few verses, Luke chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. After John's messengers left, his disciples, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So I want you to hear this. This message didn't get back to John. It may have eventually, but the messengers had already left. And here's what Jesus turns around to the crowd who overheard that and were like, I can't believe John said that. Oh my goodness, Jesus is probably going to be so mad. Here's what Jesus says about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? When many of you standing in the crowd today were baptized by John, what did you go to see? Was it a reed swayed by the wind? If that's not what you went to see, uh, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Now, you probably didn't do that because those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxuries are in palaces, not out in the Judean wilderness. But what did you go out to see? What drew you out there? A prophet? Yes. Yes, I tell you. And he's more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, that's a direct quote. 400 years before John the Baptist was born, Malachi wrote these words saying, there will be one who comes to prepare the way. Jesus is saying, that passage was written about John. I tell you, verse 28, among those born of a woman, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater even than he. Jesus' response to John's question, a question that if I'm Jesus, probably would have heard, but not Jesus, not Jesus, because Jesus knows John, and he knows you, and he knows me, and when we get depressed, and we get sad, and we start to think, God, you should do more for us, he doesn't just cast us out. No, he responds in a way that gives me so much hope. He said, this is a great man, and he's struggling right now, 
but I will not hold that against him. I will not hold that against him. He asked a bad question. Is he a weak reed swayed by the wind? No, not at all. Was he someone that became super popular because of how fancy he dressed and how much money he had? No, not at all. Why was he so great? Why was John so great? Because he was chosen by God, equipped by God to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he did all of it. He did all of it with no home. He did all of it for the glory of God. And he did it all humbly. He was the first prophet to speak for over 400 years out in the Judean wilderness saying, hey, prepare yourselves because one's coming. He was humble enough to not even consider himself worthy to untie the shoes of the Messiah. Jesus is saying very clearly, me and John, we're good. And you should learn from him. You should learn from him. Jesus continues. He's now teaching the crowd, so we need to pay attention. Verses 29 through 30. This is in a parenthetical, so Luke added this kind of as an afterthought. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right or righteous, okay? Acknowledged that because they'd been baptized by John. So even tax collectors, the most despised in the community, those who'd wandered out and been baptized by John, they now see Jesus speaking this about him, and they go, okay, we trust John's actions, even though he asked a bad question, we trust you, Jesus, so we will believe. But, verse 30, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they rejected God's purpose as being righteous or good. They rejected it for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Now, the act of baptism is not the key here. They didn't get baptized by John because they didn't believe. And so now they're going, John's messed up, and Jesus, we still don't believe in you, and we are not going to follow now, let's finish our passage, pretty close at least. Luke chapter 7, verses 31 through 34. Jesus went on to say this. To what then can I compare the people of this generation? How can I, how can I summarize what's going on here? What are they like? Well, they're like this. They're like children. Interesting use of words. They're like children sitting in a marketplace calling out to each other. So they're like children playing. Some will say, we played a pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, the opposite of playing a pipe, and you didn't cry. Okay? Now, culturally, here's what this is saying. We ask you to play wedding, and you didn't want to play. Then because we thought we were being kind, we ask you to play funeral. And you said no to that too. You just don't want to play. You don't want to be a part of the game we're inviting you into. We're willing to meet you where you're at. But you're just saying no to say no. That's kind of like the generation that you are. You, you need to examine that. We, we tried. Verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine... And you said, he's clearly got a demon. But then the Son of Man, Jesus, came. He ate and drank. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And not to mention a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We've heard that multiple times already, right? Through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus 
was in the wrong places with the wrong people, and he's going, no, that's exactly where I need to be, and that's exactly who I want to be with. Now, what Jesus is saying is, you're not logically or rationally thinking about this. You discounted John, who led the perfect, pure life. He didn't drink. He never hung out with tax collectors or sinners. He just went out into the wilderness and preached. And you said, well, that's clearly from Satan. So that was the funeral you didn't want to go to. And then for me, when I came in and I, I was willing to eat and I was willing to drink and I was willing to celebrate with all people, you called me a drunkard and a glutton and dismissed me. You're just going to find a problem with all of this no matter what. And I read these words from 2,000 years ago and I think about our culture and what it's like. And boy, how good are we at finding problems with anything and everything. Anything and everything can be dismissed, can be put to the side. And oh, how sad it is that Jesus is absolutely no different. That the bride of Christ, the church, is absolutely no different. It can just be dismissed for any number of reasons, truthful or made up, simply because people in this generation and from a generation 2,000 years ago, they just don't want to play. They don't want to play in that game. And that's sad. But, there, there's a huge but here. Luke 7.35, this is the end of our section. But wisdom, truth. Wisdom is proved right by her children. Matthew tells this same story and he adds a very important additional word. Wisdom is proved right by all her children's actions. Hey, you... You may not like what John teaches. You may not like the words that Jesus speaks. You may not like everything about who he is. Then Jesus just says, then just look at what I did. Look at how I love the poor and the hurting. Look at how I bring life. Look at how I bring hope to the hopeless. Look at how I myself didn't accept the throne offered to me on this earth, but instead I laid my life down on a cross. I died for you, and death couldn't hold me. I, I beat death for you. And then I rose again, and I sit now in heaven, hoping, hoping that this gospel message, this good news, will cause you to believe and trust in me. That these words will be enough, that you won't come up with any obvious excuse to just say, no, I'm not going to do that. There, there were loopholes or whatever. Because, because wisdom or truth is proved righteous by action. And there's not one of us, in my opinion, listening today, who can look at the life of Jesus and go, your actions disproved your words. In fact, the opposite is exactly true. Your words were validated by your actions. And that's why Jesus can handle John's obvious rebuke because his actions have proven his heart.
is just having a bad day. And maybe that's true for some of you. It's been a bad season. It's hard for you to connect with God. And I would encourage you to look, to look, to stop. If you doubt, if you're doubting right now, is is God really who he claims to be? Is, Is God really who I should put my faith and trust in? I would say this, if you doubt, wait. Watch, because Jesus says, my deeds will speak for themselves. But how will you know if Jesus moves in your life if you do not ask him to? And so today, as we conclude, if you're struggling, if you're struggling in your faith because this has been a crazy hard season and what you thought God was gonna do is not what's happening, would you re-engage and ask him to prove himself through his deeds? John was never set free. But that messenger went back and said, hey, here's what all else God's doing. Here's what Jesus is doing. And I have to believe, I have to believe that that was enough for John to go, yeah, I'm sorry. I was just kind of stuck on myself. He's the one. We're not waiting for anyone else. So if that's you, will you wait? Will you watch? Will you let Jesus' deeds speak for themselves? If you've never placed your faith in him, would you then ask him to step into your life and give you grace sufficient for all of your needs to wash over your sins? And he can because of the blood that he shed on a cross for you. Would you ask him to do that? And once again, trust him because of what he did. I don't know for sure what you need today in this season, but I know this, we all need Jesus. So I pray that we will accept him for who he is. Even if we have doubts, we'll accept him for who he is and allow his actions to speak for themselves. Father, show us your infinite love, your kindness, your compassion, your patience. Show us how much you love us through the sacrificing of your own son. May we feel that and we walk in it and we own that truth. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.